Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey, uh, what would your life be like if you were blind? Think about that for a second. Imagine it. Maybe close your eyes. What would your life be like? What, what hardships would you have? What, what frustrations would you have in, in day-to-day tasks? What questions about the world would you have if you couldn't see? William Tandy, this is exactly his story. He was born blind and lived that way for 70 years. For seven decades, William Tandy was born or was blind. But when he was 70 years old, there was a medical breakthrough and he received sight. For the first time in 70 years, William Tandy could see. Now, it was interesting because people, after the fact, they asked him, hey, hey, Will, what, what, what's different uh, than, than how you imagined it being? And he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he says, you know what, the fall, the falling leaves, the falling leaves, he said, yeah, you know, when I, when I always imagined the fall, when I always imagined leaves falling from trees, I, I just kind of imagined, for whatever reason, I just imagined a spoon falling from a table. You know, it just falls off the table and straight to the ground. But, but now that I can see, when I see the leaves fall from trees, I, I see every single leaf. I see the wind blowing them back and forth as if they're, they're dancing to the ground. I see the color, the vibrant color. I, I see the sun shimmering off of each and every single one of them. He goes on and he says, you know, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm the same guy. I'm, I'm in the same place. But, but now that I can see everything about my life is different. I'm in the same place, but now that I can see my whole world has changed. Tonight we meet a man in John chapter 9 who shares a very similar experience to William Tandy. We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of John, and, and we've called it Encountering Jesus because each week we, we meet a new person or people who encounter Jesus, and, and as a result, Jesus does something in their life that profoundly changes it. The same, of course, is true tonight. And so we pick up in John chapter 9, verse 1. This is what it says. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. So, so it's interesting, Jesus is walking along from whatever he's coming from, whatever he was doing, and he sees a man. John tells us that Jesus looks and he sees this man. Notice, though, that he doesn't see this guy how everybody else around him sees him. 
See, everybody around him, notice the, the question the disciples ask. They say to him, they say, Rabbi, they say, they say, teacher, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Now, what are they asking? Why are they asking that question? Who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he's blind? Well, in fact, in the first century, there was this erroneous idea that, that there was a direct cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. And so to them, to the people around them, it made sense that you had a guy who was blind, that, that someone did something wrong. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. This guy is, he's suffering from blindness, and so, so he's either done something bad or, or someone in his family's done something bad. That's how everybody looks at this guy and sees him. Something, someone has done something bad because you're blind. Jesus doesn't seem like that at all, though, right? Because how does Jesus respond? What does Jesus say? He says, no, 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 neither him or his parents sinned. This happened, why? What does it say? This happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, it's this really fascinating point right here at the very beginning of the story that Jesus says that there's purpose in this guy's pain. See, notice that Jesus sees this guy. He doesn't see a beggar. If you're blind in the first century, you didn't have a lot of options. You often ended up begging for your livelihood, for your sustenance. But Jesus doesn't see a beggar. That's how everybody else saw him. Jesus doesn't see an inconvenience. That's how everybody else saw him. Jesus doesn't see the same guy sitting in the same place day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. No, Jesus looks at a guy and he sees the bigger picture of his life. He sees the story, the bigger story that God is telling. And he looks at him and he says, what's happening in your life, there's purpose in your pain. What's happening in your life is so that the works of God might be displayed in you. See, I want us to catch right off the bat that there's purpose in this guy's pain and there's purpose in yours. There's purpose in his pain and there's purpose in your pain too. See, whatever's happened in your life, and I know that you guys have gone through, I know some of you, I know you've gone through some hard things. I know some of you are going through some hard things right now. I know some of you will go through some really hard things. And it's a hard teaching, but it's true. There's always a so that in our lives when we go through hardship. There's always a so that that's going on in our lives when we're suffering, when we're in pain. See, God has a purpose for the things that we go through. Now, I get that that's hard. And it's one thing to say that there's purpose in a pain. It's another to, to experience that pain and have to fight to believe it. And sometimes we have to fight to believe it, right? It's not easy. It's hard. And I know that it doesn't seem fair sometimes. The hardships that we go through, they don't seem fair. I've said that to God. God, this doesn't seem fair. Why is this happening to me? God, this isn't how I thought my life was going to go. Why, why this thing? I want us to remember this. Remember that God himself, he made his own life hard by sending Jesus to die a death that he didn't deserve. See, Jesus is familiar with your, Jesus is familiar with my pain because Jesus experienced the same pain himself, most namely on the cross. See, our pain, it, it doesn't always seem fair, but God says that it always has a purpose. There's always a so that. There's always something that God is doing in our lives, even if we can't see it. 
And he says about this blind man in John chapter 9, he says, this happened, this is happening, this has been happening in his life so that the works of God might be displayed in him, might be displayed through him. Pick up in verse 6. After saying this, Jesus spits on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva, and he puts it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Well, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, 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 it, it just looks like him. Not really him, it just looks like him. But the guy himself, he says, no, 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 it's, it's me. I, I am the man. Well, then how, how were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, well, the man they called Jesus, he sounds kind of weird. He made some mud. He rubbed it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I did. I went, and I washed, and, and then, you know what? I could see. Okay, where is this guy, they asked. I don't know. Barely know him. Just spit on the ground, made some mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and thankfully told me to go wash it off. Now I see. Verse 13. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd receive his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. This is the second time he's said the story. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. Well, well what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The guy goes, ah, he's a prophet. So, so first we see this guy talks to his neighbors, and, and now he's, he's brought to the Pharisees. And, and who are the Pharisees? Well, you probably remember that the Pharisees were, were a relatively small and, and yet highly influential group of Jews, religious leaders in Jesus' day, that, that taught meticulous obedience to God. And in this case, they've, they've got a bone to pick with this guy called Jesus, right? They say back in, well, we're told in verse 14 that, that Jesus had done this healing on the Sabbath. And, and in verse 16, they, they say, at least some of them say, he's not from God, can't be from God, can't be from God. Why? Because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now, what's the big deal with that? Well, to the Pharisees, to this religious group, to these, to these leaders, Jesus is nothing more than a lawbreaker. Jesus is, is just another guy who, who violates God's commands, particularly the fifth command to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. See, back in the book of Exodus, God gave to his people Israel the Ten Commandments, and the fifth said, keep the Sabbath holy. Set aside a day of rest and worship. But these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they say that, that Jesus is breaking God's command. Jesus is, is violating God's law by healing, by, by working on the Sabbath day. The problem, though, is that Jesus wasn't violating God's law. Jesus was violating their human tradition. 
See, see, God meant for this command to, to keep the Sabbath, to, to remember the Sabbath. He, he, he made this command to be a good thing, a, a life-giving thing for his people. But the Pharisees, no, they, they, they take a good thing, a thing that was supposed to give life, and, and they make it burdensome. They make it burdensome by, by adding to God's command a bunch of rules, a bunch of regulations. We know from history that, that 39, 39 rules and regulation, 39 classes of work and activities that Jews, the Pharisees in particular, made activities that were forbidden on the Sabbath. And so what they have here with Jesus is a guy who healed someone who wasn't in a life and death situation on a day that he was supposed to be resting and worshiping. And so, uh, violation of the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, Jesus made some mud, and, and the, really, the only way you can make mud is, is kind of by, by taking some water and kind of kneading it as if you would knead dough, and you know, as it turns out, you weren't allowed to knead dough on the Sabbath, and so Jesus checks that box too. He, he kneads dough, he makes clayish, he makes mud, yeah, violation of the Sabbath. As it turns out, you also weren't allowed to anoint people's eyes according to these Pharisees. And so three strikes, Jesus is out, he's broken the Sabbath can't be from God. This man's not from God. He violates God's commands. How can he be from God if he's a lawbreaker? But it's interesting because there's actually a division. So, so verse 16, it says, some of the Pharisees say these things. Some of the Pharisees say that, that Jesus is a lawbreaker, that he doesn't remember the Sabbath. But, but it also says, but others, well, they ask a different question. They say something else. They, they say, well, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? Catch what they're saying? If Jesus, if this, if this so-called guy named Jesus, this prophet, whoever he is, if, if he really is just a sinner, well, how can he do these things, right? How, how can he take a guy who's, who's been born blind, a guy who's been blind his entire life, he's opened his eyes with some mud, some miraculous thing, now this guy sees. How can he do that if he's just a sinner? You kind of see the debate, right? You see the, the party lines dividing. They come to an impasse and they say, fine, what do you say, blind guy? They turn to him and ask, what do you have to say about him? And the guy goes, I don't know, he's a prophet. Probably not the prophet, a prophet, he says, right? He says he's a prophet. Now that's really interesting because earlier he said that when, when, when they asked, when the neighbors asked, right, who, who did this, he said, that's some guy called Jesus. Well, now some guy called Jesus is a prophet. And later in verse 38, Jesus isn't just some guy and he's not just a prophet. The man calls him Lord. See, I, I, I draw attention to that because I want us to see the progression I want us to see the progression, the, the, the reality that, that this man in John chapter 9, he's coming to Jesus in steps. What Jesus is doing in his life, it's a process. This guy doesn't have it all figured out. He's not a small group leader. He doesn't have all of his theological I's dotted and T's crossed. No, he doesn't have it all figured out. But little by little, we're told, we see that, that he's seeing Jesus for who he really is. And I think that's true for a lot of us, isn't it? When you think about your own story, I think for a lot of us in here, maybe all of us that follow Jesus, that's, that's really true for us, little by little. 
Justin talked about this a few weeks ago, the transformation that God brings in our lives. Sometimes it's baby steps, right? Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. We don't have it all figured out. Life isn't perfect. I don't do everything the way that I'm supposed to do. I make mistakes, but little by little, we're seeing Jesus for who he really is. And as we see Jesus for who he really is, he brings change to our lives. But that's a process. See, I think sometimes we think that following Jesus has to be a light switch, right? On, off, on, off, on, off. I think Jesus is okay with process. I think Jesus is okay that coming to him sometimes happens over time. The Pharisees aren't convinced, though. Verse 18 They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Okay, this is getting ridiculous. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? Kind of imagine if you're this guy's parents, right, getting asked these questions. You're looking at your son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know he's our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind. He's our kid. But how he can see or who opened his eyes? Don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. It seems kind of like an odd statement. Yeah, it's our kid. That's my boy. Yeah, he was blind. Yeah, he can see. Don't know how. Ask him. He's age. He's of age. Why? We're told. John tells us. Next verse. His parents said this because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided, catch this, already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, all of a sudden they kind of have an idea of who this Jesus is, that that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said he's of age, ask him. See, see, the man's parents, first time we read it, we're like, well, do they just really not know? But they're not speaking out of ignorance. No, we're told they're speaking out of fear. Fear of what? Fear of being put out of the synagogue. A couple weeks ago, if you were here, Jensen talked a little bit about this. Why is that a big deal? Why is it a big deal to be kicked out of the synagogue? Well, well, for Jews, the synagogue was the, the center of religious life. But it wasn't just the center of religious life. No, it was the the center of their communal life as well. And so to be kicked out of the synagogue, to be kicked out of their place of worship, to be kicked out of the place where everybody in the community was, was essentially a severe form of social ostracism. Nobody wants to be cut off socially. They were afraid. Ask him. Okay, verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they say. We know this man is a sinner. Can you see what they're doing there? Okay, do we know? We know, we know, we know. Just admit it. Give glory, give glory to God. Tell the truth. We know he's a sinner. His response is awesome. He says, well, barely know him. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know if he is a sinner or not. I don't, I don't know that claim that you're making. Here's what I do know. I'm not going to speak to that. Here's what I do know. I was blind my entire life, but now I see. 
My entire life, I've been blind. My entire life, I've lived with the frustrations. My entire life, people have walked by me. My entire life, nobody's paid attention to me. My entire life, I've suffered. I've had challenge. I've been blind my entire life, but now I see. See, it's interesting. He's the same guy in the same place that he's always been, and yet his eyes have been opened, just like William Tandy, and now he can see. And because he can see, everything around him is different. Because he can see, his entire life has changed. He's not like he used to be. Jesus has changed him. The light of the world has given him light, and now he can see. I was blind, but now I see. See, I know some of you, that's your story, isn't it? Maybe not that dramatic. Obviously, you probably weren't physically blind, and now you can physically see, but spiritually blind? Born spiritually blind. You met Jesus. Jesus did something in your life. He changed you over time. Yeah, sure. But Jesus changed you, and everything is different. Seeing Jesus for who he really is and, and seeing your story in light of his, it's a whole new world. And of course, that's what Jesus always does, right? When, when, when Jesus' light shines, we see. And seeing Jesus clearly, it changes everything about us. It changes everything about us. Now, of course, this is really good news, right? But it kind of leads to an uncomfortable question. It leads to an uncomfortable question, and that question is, has anything actually changed about your life? If you follow Jesus, is your life different? Let me ask it a different way. What does your life say about who Jesus really is? It's a tough question, isn't it? It's convicting for me. What does my life say about who Jesus is? Man, people are watching my life. What does my life say? Uh, a few years ago, there was a uh, New York Times op-ed. I think maybe I've shared this here at Veritas before. I don't remember who wrote it, but I do remember the question at the top of the, the article. And the question that the author asked is this. He said, is your God dead? Is your God dead? Now, of course, that's a provocative question. It's intentionally eye-catching, right? And, and, and admittedly, when I first saw it, I thought that it was probably just going to be another generic piece about religion and, and you know, how we live in a secular culture and blah, 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 blah. But then I started reading it, and I realized, no, this guy's he's kind of going after Christians a little bit. He's not just talking about God generically. He's, he's asking Christians to consider, is your God dead? Now, Why? Well, in this guy's experience, he says, look, I, in my experience, I, I've been around all sorts of people who, who claim to follow Jesus, who, who, who say that they love Jesus, who say that their eyes have been opened to who Jesus is, and, and Jesus is changing their life, but, but their faith, it's mechanical, it's calloused. They don't really even seem like it matters that much. He said he, he, he sees people making choices and doing things that, that they've always done and, and nothing's really changed. He, he, he sees people, Christians, so-called followers of Jesus who, who don't love each other well, 
who aren't gracious and merciful, who, who don't care very much about justice. And so he goes on to surmise, well, at best, God is irrelevant. At best, God is just insignificant. But maybe at worst, God is dead. God is dead. See, it's a tough question, but I think it's a question that that this chapter forces us to wrestle with. What do people see when they look at your life? What do our lives say about Jesus? Because I think the reality is, is if our lives haven't changed, I'm not saying a complete change. I'm not saying everything about our lives is different. I'm not saying not process, right? We're talking about process. But if we're not seeing change in our lives, if we're not seeing growth and transformation in our lives, then maybe we aren't really seeing Jesus. See, if we look at our lives honestly, and we're not growing, and we're not changing, and we're not being transformed and renewed by the gospel of Jesus, then maybe we don't actually see Jesus for who he really is. This guy, he says, I was blind, but now I see. The Pharisees press. They ask him, verse 26, they ask him, what did he do to you? All right, are we really going to go through it again? How, how did he open your eyes? Man, I've told you already, you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again, he says. If anyone ever tells you that sarcasm isn't in the Bible, go to this verse. Why do you want to hear this again? Do you want to be his disciples too? They get it. They get it. Because they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. You're this guy's disciple. That's fine. That's great. We don't even know who he is. We follow Moses. Apparently, they didn't really follow Moses because Moses spent a lot of time talking about Jesus. The man answers. He goes, now that's remarkable. That's, that, maybe we could say that's ridiculous. You don't know where he comes from, but I'm telling you, he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. They were enraged at what he's saying. And to this they reply, you were steeped in sin at birth. How's that? How's that for a compliment? You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? How dare you sit there and pretend like you have a clue about what you're talking about, young man? And they did exactly what the parents had feared, right? They kicked him out. They threw him out. They excommunicated him from the synagogue. Now, it's interesting because where's Jesus been in all this? We haven't really seen Jesus since the verse, first few verses. He's been there the whole time, but we just haven't seen him. He comes back into the story here in verse 35. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. They'd thrown the man out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? That's just one of Jesus' favorite self-titles. Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. 
Jesus said, you've now seen him, in fact. He is the one speaking with you now. I am he. And the man says, Lord. Not just a man called Jesus, not just a prophet. Lord, I believe. And he worships him. He worships him. Jesus says, for, I, for, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. See, this guy, he sees Jesus. He, he really sees Jesus. His eyes have been opened to the reality of who Jesus is. He sees Jesus. Lord, I believe. See, believing is what opens our eyes to seeing the beauty and the majesty and the glory of who Jesus really is. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you really believe in Jesus? Do you see his glory? Do you see his majesty in your life? Well, if not, why not? What's, what's holding you back? Verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him, they've got one last question. They were with him, they heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus looks at him and he says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, well, your guilt remains. See what Jesus is saying to them? He's saying it to us, too. If you knew you were blind, you'd be able to see. If you knew you were blind, you'd be able to see. But because you think you can see, because you're so sure of yourself, because you're so confident, actually, you're blind. See, the Pharisees missed it. They couldn't see. Jesus was standing right in front of them. They couldn't see him. They couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. Is that you? Is that us? Do we see Jesus for who he really is? See, I think what Jesus wants to teach us tonight is that only when we realize how blind we are, only when we realize how spiritually blind we are, will God give us the eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. Only when we realize how blind we really are will God give us the eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. Who is he? The Messiah. The Son of God. The light of the world. The one who gives life. The one who gives light. That's who Jesus is. Do you see Jesus? I'll close here. I came across, this is an old photo. Um, you can go ahead and throw it up, yeah. Uh, it's a photo of a woman. Uh, I think this is over in Europe somewhere. And um, there was a group of elderly, uh, I think it was a nursing home of sorts, and um, this woman in particular, her dying wish was to go to this art gallery to see uh, a few Rembrandt paintings. She's on her deathbed. She's literally... I think days from dying at this point, this was her dying wish to see the beauty and the majesty and the skill of a Rembrandt painting. It's a much different photo. Let's look at it. That's also a Rembrandt photo. 
And, and honestly, I don't care. I realize that the point could be, look, the kids, they're on their phones, blah, 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 right? That's not really my point. I don't know what those kids are doing. I don't know why they're on their phones. But it's striking, isn't it? You've got a woman whose who's dying wish is to see a Rembrandt, and then you've got a group of people with their heads down, not even paying attention to the same very thing. See, see, the Pharisees, they had Jesus right in front of him, them. Jesus was standing right in front of them. They had their heads down. They couldn't see. They missed him. I, I think that's true of some of us. It's been true for sure of me at some points in my life. I, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm too distracted. I've got too many things, too many worries, too many concerns going on in my life. I miss Jesus. Music team, you guys can come back. What, what, what in your life is, is distracting you from seeing Jesus? What's going on right now in your life? Probably lots of things going on in your life. What's going on in your life that's distracting you, that's keeping your head down? That's preventing you from, from really seeing who Jesus is. What is it? What is it for you? See, what, what I want to say tonight, what I want to leave us tonight with is this. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Pick your head up. Look at him. Look at his beauty. See his majesty. See his glory. See who Jesus is really is. Ask God to give you eyes. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart so that you would see Jesus and not just see him, but you would want him. That you would desperately want Jesus. Don't miss him. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.